we're not that bad, but he suffered like that. That I think Luther would just say, you're not, you're not seeing the same picture I'm seeing when I look at Sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott. What a glorious day it is today. Uh, And one of the reasons is because I'm here with Pastor William Shiflett from Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia. It's good to see you today, Pastor. How are you today? Doing well. We're starting today a new uh, devotional and Easter devotional on the podcast. Uh, This is a book by Nancy Guthrie, who is an accomplished or a a well-known Christian author. And what she has done is gathered together devotionals from several different uh, authors, including John Piper, uh, Tim Keller, Jonathan Edwards, John Owen, uh, Skip Ryan, Martin Luther, Adrian Rogers, and on and on and on. So we would encourage you to Buy this book wherever you get your your uh, Christian books and follow along. And also, while you're buying that, you can also check out the books by uh, Pastor William. He has uh, books on Amazon.com. And Pastor, why don't you tell us about a few of your, your books? Well, I have eight fiction books. I call them family-friendly fiction. That uh, could be a loaded title to some people. But... Basically, it's really good fiction that doesn't have a lot of graphic, doesn't have any graphic violence, sexuality, or language. Two of them are behind me here. These are Christmas stories, and they are a companion set. Jesse's Journal is the sequel to that, to Tommy's Christmas Truce. I have a couple of sci-fi books and a murder mystery. So, uh, yes, anybody who would like to look that up in, at Amazon.com, William Shifflett. Uh, and uh, or look up Tommy's Christmas Truce mm-hmm. behind me here, and it'll you'll be able to bring up the other stories as well. What I'll do, Pastor, is put a link to to that in the comment section of this video on YouTube. So uh, all you got to do is open the comment section and click on the link, and it'll take you right uh, to it. And that's a good way to support uh, this podcast. If you like to support Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards, uh, Pastor William graciously donates his time to record this uh, for my benefit uh, uh, in a learning process and growing in the uh, in spirit and truth of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hopefully you're growing as well as you watch this uh, and this podcast is a blessing to you. Well, Pastor, let's get started. Uh, of course, the book uh, I think I mentioned. I forgot to mention the title of uh, her book, which is "Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross." Amen. And uh, that would be our prayer uh, for everyone this morning. But we're going to look at uh, uh, chapter one, which is by Martin Luther, and uh, what a good person to start with, right, uh, right. Martin Luther himself, which a lot of people look to him as possibly the father of Protestantism. Um, yeah, the, the Reformation, there were some voices prior to him, mm-hmm. but he became the main uh, catalyst for the Reformation. And so, yeah, it's very, uh, very, and, and 
without getting too long-winded, what was the Reformation? It was the restoration of the gospel, right. where the Catholic Church had kept adding things on and adding things on until it was crushing people. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they came along with the indulgences, and you can get out of get people out of purgatory by, by paying a fee to the church. And Luther said, no, this is taking away from the fact that we're saved by the work of Christ on the cross alone. Mm-hmm. So it's a very appropriate place for her to start uh, the, start the book with Martin Luther. Exactly. And uh, his chapter is called True Contemplation of the Cross. And he looks at Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, which says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And uh, I have a quote here, Pastor, from uh, Martin Luther. He says, The true contemplation is that in which the heart is crushed and the conscience is smitten. How is that true? Well, because, you know... Today, and I think the point he goes on to make in his uh, his uh, essay is that there's so many people that just look at the cross as a an emblem you wear on your chest, or we in our area uh, we have a lot of places where you see the three crosses that are put up. Right. The, the, nothing immoral about that, but people can just lose sight of. The, the, the demands that the cross makes upon us. Right. And you know, as you were talking, as you were reciting that about his, uh, you, you know, enduring hostility from sinners, we need to remember that Martin Luther was essentially a pris- prisoner much of his life. He wasn't in prison, but he was in Wittenberg Castle. He had to stay there to be safe. He couldn't go out because they, his, they had put a bounty on his head, if you want to use that term. So he really understood the cost of of committing to Christ and looking to Christ in ways that I'm going to say a huge percentage of American Christians just don't have a clue of what it is to suffer for Christ. So his, right. he, he's calling us to recognize true contemplation. Look at what Christ suffered and to, to make it possible for us to to be reconciled to God, that's the contemplation, not just a sentimental or or merely religious consideration. Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor, I thought about uh, a lot of people, a lot of churches, a lot of people had their eyes off the cru- cross, unfortunately, and they had their eyes on something else. And, and I wrote down three things, and I'd like to get your uh, opinion on this. A lot of people seem to have a fascination with the miraculous. Um, do you think that those who seek miracles today are interested in what the miracles of Christ actually point to? Uh, boy, that's that's an excellent question, and I would have to say the majority of people know. No, they're, they're looking for a quick fix they're looking for a problem to be resolved without any understanding that sometimes the problem is there because God wants to keep us close to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just, we just look at a miracle. And, and unfortunately, there is a section of the Christian community that promises people, but believe this, 
do that, send us your money, blah, blah, and everything will be fine. It'll be great tomorrow. And you just do not see that in the Bible. You don't see it in the life of the followers of Christ. Personally, you do not see it in the history of the church. Mm-hmm. Yes, God blesses people, and some people have really good lives that are apparently trouble-free, okay? Apparently mm-hmm. trouble-free. But but even the people that are promising this miracle is going to fix everything, uh, they don't have that kind of problem-free life either. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I do think there are many people who are who are looking at the miracle rather than the miracle giver. Mm-hmm. And the miracle is always meant to turn our attention to to Christ. Right. What did it what does it mean when Jesus said a wicked generation looks for signs? Well, that was in, in specifically in reference to them ignoring everything he had done and persisting in a request for you proof that you're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, and and Jesus is saying this so the way the way I would the way I would express this is that Jesus is saying your persistent uh, seeking for a sign while rejecting these other signs I've already done proves how wicked you are. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have to say you're wicked. Your very persistence in rejecting what you've already seen, much less the implications of the scriptures about the Messiah when he comes, that proves how wicked you are. Mm-hmm. And th- therefore, the, 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 the sign would be something that would turn person to re- repentance. And Jesus says, here's all these signs that have been done, and you persist in your demanding proof. That is in itself a sign of the deep wickedness and corruption of your hearts. Do you think even the disciples themselves uh, uh, were so busy looking at all the miracles and things that Christ was doing that they failed to see the uh, uh, the cross? Yeah, absolutely. The the scriptures are pretty clear. When Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, they they look at him and say, what's he talking about? Uh, When he says he's going to come back from the dead, they scratch their heads and say, we we don't know what this means. Uh, But they were very enthusiastic about following him. Mm -hmm. So I think it is true that there is a place where uh, they uh, they were really excited about the miracles and had the... Uh, they had the seed of who he was, if you will, in their hearts, but they were, like everyone else, blinded by their sin, by the hardness of their hearts, and uh, and they too, they too missed the whole point of what he was going to do at the cross. Mm-hmm. Another uh, thing, another reason that I think uh, churches get their eyes off of Christ is perhaps moralism. Do you think that uh, there are a lot of churches that only look at Christ as a good example to follow? Yeah, uh, and that's that's a that's a that's sort of a broad topic because we we are supposed to follow Christ. Yes, but but you can be guilty of, and this and this is where you get into legalism. Mm-hmm. They're so focused on the moral dimension, which is we are called to. They miss the satisfaction of the debt mm-hmm. and the power that comes through Christ right. for us to live uh, the Christian, to, to, to comply with the Christian calling, if that's another way to say it. So, yeah, you have to be very careful. And, and generally, 
what I have found is moralism basically stops at the church door. Mm-hmm. That is in the church, you hear all this stuff, and we go out to church and we don't do any of it mm-hmm. because we've just misunderstood. The cross is meant to impact us daily, right. not on Sunday. And going back to our discussion before we began recording that we'll come back to in the future, not just during the Easter season, but throughout our lives all year long. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, a pitfall. So Jesus is more than uh, just a good teacher and just a good example for us to follow, which he is those things. Right. But it's more than that. It's mo- much it, more than that. It's much more than that. And what's interesting when you make that point is when Peter says Christ gave an example that you should follow in his steps, he was talking about the sufferings of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where the rubber meets the road. Are we willing to suffer for Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when, when Peter says that. He, he left us an example. We should follow in his steps. He's talking about the sufferings of Christ. Right. Not, not the victories of Christ, not the miracles of Christ, the sufferings of Christ. And that comes back then to what Martin Luther's hinting at. The true contemplation of the cross recognizes how wretched we are, how, how wretched we were, and remain, and, the, and what a great thing Christ has done in, in dying for our sins. I don't want to get ahead of you, but uh, in that chapter, he says, you know, we are the ones who drove the nails in Christ's hands. Right. When that's what that's what comes about when you really contemplate the cross. How did he get there? We put him there by our sins. Exactly. Exactly. Well, even Jesus told the Pharisees that uh, they were despite their devotion to the scriptures, they were missing. They're, they're missing something. Yeah. So that can even happen to us today yeah, as it, well, easily. It can. It's so easy to miss the whole Christian message when uh, something like uh, mere moralism or miracles becomes the focus. When we think that's what God wants, uh, we've missed a big part of the picture mm-hmm. about what God has already done through the cross. Right. Is it possible to go to hell while striving to go to heaven? I think it. I think it is. Yes, and I would cite for the viewers a consideration the passage in Matthew seven. Uh, many will say to me in that day, "Hey, we we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did these mir- wonderful works." Which, by the way, in the Greek is the same word used for the miracles of Christ. We've done all these great things, mm-hmm. and he says, "I don't know you." I never knew you. You were never part of my family. So it is a very sobering thing that I think we need to think about more frequently. Yes, it is possible to go through all the trappings of religion and still be lost in the end because our faith really isn't in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. That verse you're talking about uh, where Jesus said, I never knew you, that to me is one of the most frightening verses in the entire scripture so uh whenever i hear that verse or i read that verse or i think about that verse i say dear god don't let that be me please don't let me come to the end thinking i'm okay only to find out too late that i'm i'm lost right um Pastor, it also seems there are many, uh, not necessarily churches. Well, actually, I guess it could apply to churches as well. They're caught up or they're fascinated with the mysterious. 
Um, do you think that uh, it's possible that people can get so caught up in the mysterious of uh, things of scriptures, such as in times, I right. guess is the best right. example, yeah. that they miss the cross? I think they can just totally. I absolutely think that they get that there, there's, there is a there is a mystery in the cross in the sense of how did God become a baby? How did this? How did God die? You know, there there is mystery in that. But you can focus on that so much that you miss the whole point of the story. It's like right. the old saying: you can't see the forest for the trees. Right. You you just get caught up and with respect to mysteries it's in our time a lot of it is end time stuff but there are other aspects of mystery that people get caught up on mm-hmm. and they 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 miss the whole uh and, and, and we give you an example numbers numerology not to get political or to condemn anybody on either side of the aisle but back when donald trump before he was elected there were congregations in america saying now on the He's going to be inaugurated on the seventh day of the seventh year of, and he'll be 71 that day. And if 777, this proves, you know, that kind of mystery rather than the fundamentals of here's what God did for sinners. Right. Let that be our message because he's the only one. There is no political candidate who can save us either as a nation or as individuals. Only God can save us. And he has done that through the cross. So look to Christ. Yeah. Pastor, should we be content to know God as he has graciously revealed himself in, in the written word? Uh, I think I think yes, by and large. Now, I, the reason I hesitate there, we and we've talked before, there are aspects of our lives that aren't clearly defined in Scripture that we need to seek God for. Uh I, I'm I'm working on a series for Wednesday nights on the sufficiency of Scripture, God's Word alone, and all of the writers point out that the Bible doesn't talk about physics or calculus or that, and there are other things we need to know in life. But as it pertains to our spiritual lives, we should absolutely be satisfied with what God says, and this is what, in fact, the sufficiency of Scripture means that it speaks to everything regarding my spiritual salvation. Mm-hmm. And I should be content with that uh, and, and what it says there. So, yes, that should be, we should be satisfied with what God has said in his word. There's a passage in Deuteronomy frequently misquoted by the charismatic group. Um, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. But the problem is they try to figure out what their secret things are, you see. And those secret things belong to God. What it has been revealed in Scripture, here's your problem. Here's the solution. Here's how you respond after you accept the solution of God in the way you live your life. Mm-hmm. And and there is a great need for, 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 for more of that. Well, Pastor Martin Luther goes on. He says, the more you ponder the deeper you will tremble. What's he mean by that? Well, I think that simply means if we contemplate the cross, going back again, why did Christ have to die? If I understand the Son of God is dying, why? And this to me just 
eliminates any claim of personal goodness. Mm-hmm. My, a, a few, a few little indiscretions, a little failing here and there, put him on the cross. No, that doesn't sound right. That if I understand, this is the Son of God dying, then the sin he is dying for must be enormous. It, it must be enormous. And this is the point that, you know, you hear this, and I don't want to get into the theology of it, but people say, if you were the only person, Christ would have died for you. If that, And, we, and I'm not denying we should uh, take it in that, a personal application sense, but I'm simply saying, then I must ask, why was Christ, why did he suffer? Why did, was he brutalized this way? Unless... My sins are indeed horrible beyond description. Horrible beyond description. I'm, I'm not just a little bad. I'm not a little broken. I'm not a little ill spiritually. I am dead. I am lost. And so I do think when we, when we talk about contemplating the cross, ask why did God's son suffer like this? And the only explanation can be my sin is indeed heinous mm-hmm. in the sight of God. Do you think non-Christians and maybe Christians uh, as well like to soften uh, sin like we see uh, the sin of homosexuality being done today? Right. I think we are all, because we're all broken, because we're all fallen, that our default position is, yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And uh, we must, this is one of the reasons why the church has practiced corporate confession of sin and a lot of the reformed churches begin their services begin with a corporate confession of sin before we can do anything else here today folks we have to confess our sin Mm -hmm. to remind us of our brokenness because our default setting is always i'm not that bad and you've heard me say this many times martin luther said i preach the gospel every week because the people need the gospel every week they go out into the world and they forget that they're broken. They forget they're sinners. I'm and sure then they, they have to come in and be reminded. Uh, and that's a, a, a that's a strong word for anyone who, who who's listening, who just wants to go to church and hear sweet and light and nice. And you're, you're falling into the trap of thinking, I'm not that bad. So let me invite you to go back and contemplate the cross again and ask why did he have to suffer in such a horrible way if with one of my favorite sayings, if we're all basically good, then why did Christ have to suffer so miserably to rescue us? Right. Uh, I think that's part of the contemplation of the cross. Well, let me ask you this. I've heard Christians say this, that anything is all right to do as long as you do it in moderation. Now, where does that come from? And is that a form of softening sin? Ah, okay. So there is a passage where Paul says, and this is probably the King James. uh, I have to check it in other translations, but uh, where he does says, let everything be done in moderation. And we would all argue there is a place for balance. Let's take, for example, the very contentious issue of alcoholic beverages. Mm -hmm. Should Christians drink or not drink? And there's a rift in the church for that. The argument that some people make is, well, everything in moderation. Okay, but Scripture clearly denounces drunkenness. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to drink, you must understand there is a place where you can't go beyond that. 
And and if you're talking about a glass of wine with your supper or or a glass of beer when you go out to uh, go, go out to eat um, at a restaurant, that's different. If you're talking about buying a 12 pack or a 24 pack every day when you get off work and it's gone before your head hits the pillow, mm-hmm. that's not moderation. Right. That's not moderation. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I can't remember whether it was in this this book or the ones I'm looking at for this other series. But, you know, Martin Luther, in one of his comments, talks about he's drinking Wittenberg beer. They Europeans, as a rule, have a totally different perspective on this subject. But there is a place where we should have balance. But there are some things that are off-limit, period. Mm-hmm. So you can't have moderation in adultery <laughs> or right. moderation in stealing, okay? Right. And this is where the problem comes in. People try to say, well, everything in moderation, so that means I can sleep with my girlfriend and not get married. That's not what it means. And so it's one of those things that, that has to be very much kept in the proper context of Scripture. It is not justifying. Paul says in one place, and it's, a, it's another one of those statements that's often misunderstood, he says, all things are lawful for me, mm-hmm. but not all things are beneficial. Right. Now, we have to know he's not saying all sinful things are lawful for me. He's saying there are things like eating meat offered to an idol. That, that's all, It's lawful, but it's not going to benefit me if it causes my brother to stumble. Mm-hmm. Those are one of that's one of those trickier passages of scripture. So anyone saying, yeah, oh well, as long as it's in moderation, there's a limit to all things in moderation. Okay. So, so you can't sin in moderation. No, no. So like gluttony right. uh, is exactly like drinking. Right. So you can drink, but as soon as it starts to affect your mind, then you've crossed that line over into drunkenness. Yeah, uh, there's a, there is a line. Now I have and to... once you eaten too much you've crossed the line into gluttony right right yeah uh, and and that that's that's a very legitimate uh, a good illustration there is a place where uh, even even think about sexuality within a marriage paul says in first corinthians that there 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 should be a, a a time where you break that okay so that you're not just getting sucked into sex 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 even within the marriage relationship mm-hmm. and then he says but after a time given perhaps to fasting, okay, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, then come together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you, okay? So even in something that's obviously approved by God, designed by God, the sexual relationship between husband and wife, Paul is saying, even that has a moderation to it. Mm-hmm. So so you're, you're very true. There, there are some things that moderation doesn't mean, or... It, it applies to more than just this issue or that issue. It's got a broad application. Well, let me ask you this. The thought just crossed my mind. Uh, of course, we're talking about Jesus keep me near the cross. How do you think Jesus would uh, react or what would he think about our conversation about sinning in moderation uh, as he is on the cross bearing the sin of the world. That that's an excellent thought. He would not be saying, as many people seem to think, that, well, it's okay. It's in moderation. I'm dying here. I'm suffering. I'm separated from my father. But it's it's okay if you're sinning as long as it's in moderation. Yeah. That's a great illustration. What a contradiction. 
contemplating the cross, there's no way you can see that picture and think he would be okay with this sin as long as within as long as it's within certain proportions. No. There's no such thing as you said in sinning in moderation. Well, Martin Luther also says, he says, the whole value of the meditation of the suffering of Christ lies in this, that man should come to the knowledge of himself and sink and tremble. Yeah. Now, what does he mean by sink and tremble? I would say that he means that all of our, uh, uh, all of our reliance on our own goodness is cast aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we, when we look at I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth here, but I, I'm, I'm sure that Martin Luther would point us to Isaiah chapter six. I am a unclean man. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Mm-hmm. He would call our attention to that passage in the Gospels, where Jesus uh, does the miracle of the fish at one place, and Peter falls down in the boat and says, "Depart from me! I'm a sinful man." Mm-hmm. That kind of recognition that I have nothing to merit God's favor and grace. And if he does not smile favorably on me, I am doomed. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a, quite a part of what Luther would be conveying. How valuable is a human soul? Oh, well, there obviously is no price no earthly dollar amount that can be put on it. Uh, Christ thought the souls of the elect worth enough to die for. I don't know there's any way of saying that. What could be more valuable than that? Yeah, yeah. Um, What should a profit a man if he gained the whole world uh, yet lose his own soul? Right. And... uh, or what? Uh, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Right. There's, there's nothing. This is the point Jesus is saying. Your soul is the most valuable thing you have. And what a contrast to our, our culture where we have great affluence. Again, I always want to be careful to, to not say that a person who is materially blessed is immoral, but it does make it harder for us to understand that the most valuable thing we possess is not our 401k, not our home, not our cars, not our pets, not our recreational pursuits. It is our soul. When you, when, when everything is said and done, that's all you have mm-hmm. is your soul. Um, and, and we should, we should think about, we should think about that. And this is what Christ did. Mm-hmm. As we contemplate the cross, what kind of reaction should should we have as Christians and as the lost look at the cross and think about it? What kind of reaction should they have, in your opinion? Well, the kind they should have is impossible without the work of God. Obviously, they right. should they should recognize their lostness. Paul says the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. Right. But when a person is moved by God, uh, he, he turns on the lights of their spirit. So they see the truth of their fallenness. Then it should produce this great, this great change of gratitude, of dependency. Uh, 
in the in the minds and the hearts of the believer. This is one of the things that is frustrating for me as a pastor, and I assume for all pastors, the inability of people to, they come to church, they go through the motions, but you never see that sense of desperate need for God. And and I think that's, I think that can be, it, we have to be careful here, but I think it can be one of the greatest indicators of whether my, whether my salvation is really grounded in the death of Christ for me, or whether it's, again, looked at as, well, he did that because I'm really not that bad a person, and he wants to spare me, versus I'm a horrible, wretched sinner that's got to be rescued. That phrase that I just said, I'm a horrible, wretched sinner, how much of the Christian community rejects that statement today? Mm. How much of the oh, we're not no no we're not like that that's well that's what the Bible that's says what the Bible tells us and again back to Christ on the cross we're not that bad but he suffered like that that I think Luther would just say you're not you're not seeing the same picture I'm seeing when I look at the cross amen 